We also have another reason to celebrate this morning. My good friend and our Carmel campus pastor is here to, uh, to bring our message this morning. Some of you have never met him before, but he's a man who you may see at some point running barefoot through our county parks or swimming across <laughs> Morse Reservoir in his Speedo. So let's give a warm Genesis welcome to Steve Wallen. <laughs> I almost, I almost wore my Speedo today just for you, Ben, but it was 40 degrees when I left the house. Uh, thanks for that great introduction. Thanks for your welcome. It's always great to be here uh, with my friends in Noblesville. Uh, good to see you all. We're in the third week of this series we've called Identity Crisis, and we've been talking about, for the last three weeks now, we've been talking about how, as a Christian, your identity is found in Christ. My identity is in Christ. As we talked about last week, we said, you're not who you were. You're not what you do. Your identity can't even come from within you. In fact, uh, I've been doing this thing. Maybe you do this too now. When I get my new credit cards in the mail or my new debit cards, I don't, I don't sign the back of them. You guys do that? If you don't sign the back of them or you write check ID, that makes you, it forces the cashier when you go check out somewhere, they're supposed to anyway, um, look at the back of your card, see it's not signed and ask you to provide ID, right? And the reason for that is because I can tell them that I'm Steve Wallen, but my identity coming from inside of me, it doesn't mean anything to them, right? It has to come from a third party. And so in this case, if I show them my driver's license, it comes from the state of Indiana. The state of Indiana has authority to tell them who I am. Well, what we're talking about in this case is that there's only one person who has the, if you're a Christian, who has the authority to tell you where your identity comes from, and it's Jesus Christ. That, that God paid a price for your life. He bought you with a price, and that means he has final say over your life. It means that you might say he has naming rights on you. He has the ability to tell you who you are if you're in Christ. Now, if you're not a Christian, I want you to know that God paid a price for you too. That he purchased your life and he's just waiting for you to trust your life to him. And so in this series, we've been studying the New Testament book of Ephesians. Uh, we've been asking you to read a chapter of Ephesians every day. Hopefully some of you are doing that. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. Okay, but hopefully some of you are doing that. And if you haven't been doing it, I'm telling you, you can start today and you can still, by the end of this series, have read uh, the book of Ephesians three or four times by the time we're done. But we're gonna start today in Ephesians chapter three. So you can open your Bible there. If you have your phone or your tablet or wherever you read your Bible, you go ahead and open it up. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be one that looks like this somewhere around you. Go ahead and pick that up. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, take this one home with you. It's our gift to you. We want you to be reading along with us. We think that you'll get a lot more out of this series if you're in it Monday through Sunday instead of just on Sunday. And so uh, Ephesians chapter three, today what we're gonna talk about it is what it means to be in Christ even when we're discouraged or when we're suffering. Now, before we get very far at all, I just wanna acknowledge that when it comes to suffering, I'm a bit of a rookie. I, I have, there's no doubt that I've had some tough times in my life. I've seen some tough times. And as a pastor, I certainly get to see uh, people go through tough times and what that looks like. But when I look around the room and I just see some of you that I know, and I know your story, and I know what you struggle with, I know what you've suffered from, I have to tell you that I feel like I've got scratches and bruises, and you get, some of you have some pretty deep wounds. But that's okay because I know you didn't come to hear what I have to say about suffering. And so even if the worst of my suffering was that my remote control batteries are out right now and I have to get up every time I want to change the channel or that my daughter ate the last granola bar yesterday that I really, really wanted. If that was the worst of my suffering, it doesn't matter because I wanna to talk to you about suffering from the word of God this morning. 
And I want to tell you that while I can't speak out of my own suffering experiences, what I will do is speak from the word of God. And Jesus said this. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. You know, he was never one to shrink from the truth. And so he just comes right out and he says, hey, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be, if this is going to be part of your life in this world, you're going to face some trouble someday. You're going to have some trouble. You're going to go through some things that are going to cause you to suffer. But then he has words of hope when he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, I want you to think about this because at this time, Jesus, the man was still alive and he was looking forward at the cross. He was looking forward to a time when he was gonna defeat death, but he hadn't yet done it. But fascinating, isn't it, that even before Jesus went to the cross and beaten death, he's talking about it like it's past tense. Now, that's because that God is not bound by time like the rest of us. And so when Jesus saw this event, it was already accomplished. Now, that means that you may be fighting a battle today, but in the mind of the Lord, it's already won. How does that change your perspective on what you're suffering with? Not to diminish what it is you're facing, not to say, you know, your suffering doesn't matter, but to say, hey, look, this may be a battle that's already won in Christ And so today we have the benefit of looking backward at the cross. We have the benefit of looking back and we're reminded that Jesus suffered too. Even as we suffer, we can remember that Jesus suffered the most. And that's comforting when you realize that in your time of suffering, if you're going through something, if you're struggling with something, if you're in pain, we don't serve a God who is immune to suffering. But instead, we serve a God who inserted himself in the midst of suffering, that in Jesus, he entered into suffering. He tasted suffering. He experienced pain with his life. And so he can identify with us in the midst of it. And more importantly, we can have this confidence that one one day, Jesus is gonna bring all this suffering to an end. That's the promise we get when we read the New Testament. As we read through it, the New Testament that is, we see example after example of people who have suffered because of their faith in God. And and the Apostle Paul uh, is one great example of that. The Apostle Paul is the author of the book of Ephesians. You may remember that from week one, that it's a letter he wrote to the Christians in and around the church in the area of Ephesus. If you know anything about Paul, if you know anything about his life, you know that he encountered and endured considerable suffering and difficult times. And that's what he's going to talk about in Ephesians chapter 3. And so we're just going to start Ephesians 3 verse 1. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole passage, uh, and then we'll break it down piece by piece and see what we can learn from it. So he says this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. So we know he's in a difficult place. We know he's a prisoner Right? But it's taken him till chapter 3 for him to tell us that. It's interesting, I think. Uh, it gives us a new perspective when we look back at week 1 and week 2 and talking about what it means to be in Christ and how positive Paul spoke about that, being in Christ and what that means for your life, to now look and say, oh, wait, he's in prison? Like he's a prisoner and he's talking about it this way? Now, funny enough that you and I, when we're writing a letter, we would probably lead with that, wouldn't we? We tend to lead with our suffering. If you have a Facebook account, Uh, there's a good chance that all your Facebook friends know when you go through something, when you're suffering with something, right? Because we lead with that. Paul doesn't lead with that. He has two chapters before he tells them that he's a prisoner, all right? So he says this. He said, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I understand my insight into the mystery 
of Christ. We're going to talk so much more about this in the weeks to come. The mystery of Christ, which was made known to people, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has been, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. In other words, generations before didn't know about Christ, didn't know about this mystery, and now God's revealed it to us. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, are heirs together with Israel, the Jewish people, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I, Paul, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Wow, there's just so much there, and we don't have time to cover everything that Paul's talking about there, but what I want you to catch from that 13 verses is this, that Paul's identity is in Christ. He's told us about that for two chapters. He is in Christ, and yet he's suffering. And so what we wanna do today is see what we can learn from suffering, and, and more importantly, how do we live through our suffering, because we're all gonna face it. You know, one of the most common misconceptions about the character of God is that God causes all the suffering in the world. And and so many times people who go through a difficult time will blame God, will get down on God because they're going through this time. That that because he is all powerful, that anything that happens must come from him. Well, I like the way I heard one person say it. He said, a king can be sovereign and rule over his kingdom without causing everything and approving everything going on in that kingdom. And so God is sovereign. He rules over this world, but that doesn't mean that he ordains or that he approves of or even that he causes everything that's going on in the world. We know this because the Bible says that God hates sin. We know the Bible says that God hates injustice. He hates hands that shed innocent blood. God hates divorce. And so to say that God is causing these things to happen, well, it's contrary to his own nature. So, According to scripture, what does cause suffering? Well, I think if we read through the Bible, we can see a lot of different causes for suffering. Occasionally, things like distress and pain do come from God. I mean, he sent the 10 miserable plagues against uh, the Egyptians to motivate and to them to release his people, right? And then sometimes God sends painful circumstances into our lives to warn us and to strengthen us. Hebrews 12 says that that God disciplines us for our good so that we may have his holiness, But some suffering is a result of our own sin. And we bring it on ourselves. You know, you overeat and you have health problems. You steal, you get caught, you go to jail. You you lie and you lose respect. You gossip and you lose friends. There are consequences for all of our choices that even when our sin is forgiven in Christ, that there still can be consequences for that sin. Well, some suffering is a result of other people's sin. It has nothing to do with us. In the Old Testament, for instance, we meet a boy by the name of Joseph uh, who was sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. It wasn't Joseph's fault. He, He didn't do anything wrong, but his brothers were full of envy and hatred, and those are sins. And because of their sin, Joseph had to suffer. 
Sometimes our suffering is a result of the sinful actions of others, like uh, when a drunk driver kills someone that you love or your spouse is unfaithful or your parents are abusive. You suffer because of someone else's sin. Some suffering is a result of a satanic attack. You have a mortal enemy who wants to see you get down on God, who doesn't want to see you happy. And again, in the Old Testament, we see a, a man by the name of Job. Job suffered greatly. He, he went bankrupt. His children were killed. His health failed. His so-called friends accused him of having some hidden sin that wasn't being revealed, but it wasn't Job's sin. It wasn't other people's sin. God wasn't causing these things. It was Satan. It was an attack from his enemy. But I believe that most of our suffering comes simply because we live in a fallen world. As Romans 8.22 says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. In other words, creation is all out of sync. Like the world is groaning, the air is polluted, the water's contaminated, wars are fought and people die and there are germs and disease and people are mistreated and people are owned as slaves. Our bodies are vulnerable to death because the world is no longer as God intended it to be. Now, someday, we have this promise that someday God's gonna make it all right again. He's gonna restore all things. But in the meantime, we live in this world that's infected with sin and we all, all of us, suffer the repercussions of it. And so while maybe it helps to try to answer the why question uh, from time to time, if we spend too much time, what we find out is that we're really asking the wrong question because why is all about assigning a cause or assigning blame to someone. And it does nothing to help us redeem our suffering. You know what the word redeem means, right? Redeem means you take something of no value and exchange it for something of value. Well, our suffering, which is really of no value on its face, we can exchange it for something of value by asking a different question. And it's the question that I think Paul tries to answer in these 13 verses in Ephesians 3. And it's not why we suffer, but how we should suffer. And so hopefully this will be helpful for you today. If you're going through uh, something really difficult, really big, whether it's a health problem or a marriage problem or, or a problem with your kids or something that you just don't know how it's gonna end, I believe that asking how I should suffer is gonna help you with that. But if you're not going anything, through anything right now, I'm gonna tell you that Jesus promised that you would. And so maybe this is one that you need to file away and save for later. And so what I wanna do is I wanna look at through this passage of scripture, three ways Three things that tell us what Paul says, how we should suffer. I think we can find three answers. I've put these in your notes. And so if you got the sermon note card when you walked in, you might follow along. Number one is this. We can suffer for the good of others. The apostle Paul shows us that we suffer for the good of, e of others. Ephesians 3.1 says this. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. Paul basically says, my suffering is for a reason. There's a purpose behind it. It's for you. I'm suffering for other people. You know, one of the first things that happens when we suffer is we quickly lose focus on the people around us, don't we? We kind of turn our attention inward and we uh, lose sight of the other people around us that may be suffering. We forget that other people are hurting too. It's like a, a friend of mine who uh, was at a very fancy restaurant having a fancy dinner. Uh, and uh, when he got his dish, he ordered, he wanted some ketchup to go with his dish. And this is not the kind of restaurant where they have a bottle of ketchup sitting on the table. And so the waiter went back to the kitchen and got a bowl of ketchup. 
and brought the bowl of ketchup to his table. And when the waiter got to the table, for some reason, something happened and it caused the waiter to tip his tray and the bowl of ketchup splashed on or hit the table and some of it splashed onto my friend's tie. And he, he said, oh no, I got some ketchup on my tie. Honey, can I have your napkin? And he turns and looks at her and she goes, you got ketchup on your tie? And he looks up at his wife and she has ketchup running down her hair and down her face and down the front of her dress. And because he was suffering, he didn't see the suffering of the person next to him. Well, Paul, Paul's in prison, but he's not in prison because he did anything wrong, but he's in prison because he wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. And for that reason, he's separated from his friends in Ephesus, but he still wants to pay attention to them. He still cares about their suffering. And so look what he says next. He says, in reading this, verse four, in reading this, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm a prisoner for Jesus. I'm in jail because I want everyone to know about Jesus. This is for the good of others. It's for the good of you that I'm writing to. I'm suffering for you. I'm suffering for the Gentiles. Now, this wouldn't have been true of who Paul used to be. The old Paul likely had no compassion or affection for these people, but then Jesus got a hold of his life. You know, we talked about this week one. If you missed it, you should go to our website, genesischurch.me and listen to the podcast from week one because we talked all about how Paul got, uh, how Jesus got a hold of Paul's life and turned him around and set him on a different road. And, and so before long, Paul learned that it's not about Jew or Gentile, it's all about Jesus. And so Paul received new identity in Christ and it marked him so profoundly that he wanted to go tell everyone, including the Gentiles about Jesus. Paul's passion became helping people find their way back to God. And what we see here is this understanding where he realizes that he's suffering because of that passion. And the great lesson and the great reminder for you and me is that we need to be continually reminded there are people all around us, people in our life, people in our work, people in your school who've not experienced the life-changing power of Jesus. For them, he's still a mystery. They still don't know. They still haven't met him. And so for Paul, he's in prison. He's suffering, but his hardship has provided him an even greater opportunity to talk to other people about Jesus, whether in jail to his captors, which we see in other letters that Paul is frequently known to do, or in these letters, this letter in particular to the Ephesians. So here's my question for you. How can your suffering help people find their way back to God? How might God use your present hardship or your future hardship to lead others into a relationship with our savior. Because here's the interesting thing about our suffering. If you've suffered or if you're going through discouraging times, you have credibility. You have influence with other people who are feeling the same thing. I've got a friend named Stacy. Stacy attends Genesis Church. She moved up here about two years ago from Dallas, Texas. And when she moved here, she was right in the middle of chemotherapy. She had, uh, had breast cancer, uh, it had metastasized, it was in several areas of her body, and they were fighting it aggressively with chemotherapy, and as a result of the chemotherapy, her hair had started to fall out, and so when she saw her hair start to fall out, um, she let her daughter, her four-year-old daughter, shave her head, and uh, she wore, when she first came to Genesis, she would wear a bandana every week to, to cover her head, and uh, she told me in the midst of that fight, she said, Steve, I know that God's going to heal me. 
I just have great confidence that Jesus is gonna heal me. But what I keep asking is, how am I supposed to use this? Wow, what great perspective for somebody who's struggling with cancer in the middle of the battle. All right, this isn't after she was healed. By the way, today she's completely cancer-free. But, but in the middle of the battle, she was saying, I know that God's gonna heal me of this, but I keep asking, how am I supposed to use this? And so what she started doing, she realized that um, as her hair started to grow back a little bit, it was still very short. She would go to the grocery store with her daughters and uh, women would come up to her and say, I love your hair. Can you tell me who cut your hair? And she would say, my daughter cut my hair. And her then five or six-year-old daughter was with her. And she said, really, you let your daughter cut your hair? Why is that? And she would say, I had cancer, but Jesus healed me. And she had this incredible opportunity in the grocery store, in Target, to talk to these women about how Jesus healed her from cancer. That was her ministry. Or it's like my friends that are struggling right now with infertility. They're trying to have a baby. They've been trying for a couple of years and, and um, have just really been struggling with, with wrestling with God about it and wrestling with what, where their identity should be. And now they've decided to start a group. They're starting a group for other women who are struggling uh, with infertility. They want someone to be there for them. They know that this can be part of their ministry. It may be for you that God wants to use your, your misery as your ministry. You know, God can turn your misery into your ministry. So what have you been through? What, what are you going through? Don't waste it. Your misery can become your ministry. And don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that you can't have all your own questions about why this happened or what God wants to do with it or shed your own tears or deal with your own frustrations. God can even use these. He can use the way you sort through these things and how you respond to them for the sake of others. And, and maybe not tomorrow, okay, but someday. The very thing that's bringing you down right now, the very thing that you're suffering with could become the very thing that you use to reach a number of people for the glory of God. Because you are in Christ, you can suffer in a way that makes an incredible difference in the life of other people. It was true for Paul. He suffered, but it provided him uh, with a greater opportunity to share the hope of Jesus with others. And so look, Jesus suffered for others too, right? We know that. Here's what's so amazing about our Savior, that God chose to enter into and experience affliction and pain and poverty, uh, rejection, and death. Isaiah 53 says that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. He suffered for the sake of others. And the good news is that no matter what's going on in your life, he's been through worse. He's alive today to help other people and to help me and you as we suffer. So you can suffer for the good of others. Number two is this, you can suffer and grow. You can suffer and grow. I love what Paul writes in uh, verse seven. I'm gonna read this from a slightly different translation of the Bible. It's called the message. And it goes like this. It's on the screen. If you don't have the message with you, it says, this is my life work, helping people understand and respond to this message. It came as a sheer gift to me, a real surprise, God handling all the details when it came to presenting the message to people who had no background in God's way, I was the least qualified of any of the available Christians. But God saw it to, that, to, to it that I was equipped and you can be sure that it had nothing to do with my natural abilities. And so here I am preaching and writing about things that are way over my head. That's my life verse, by the way, right there. <laughs> preaching and writing about things that are way over my head, the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ my task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God who created all this in the first place has been doing in secret 
and behind the scenes all along. So Paul's suffering, and even as he suffers, he's growing in his ministry. He's growing in influence. He's growing in his understanding of who God is. He says, I minister only by God's grace. There's such humility in those words. I mean, this is Paul we're talking about. He's a smart guy. He's an educated man. He's making a name for himself. He's becoming famous, but he's not bragging. He's saying, everything I do is by the working of God's power. Again, there's humility. There's evidence of growth in those words. He says, I'm the least of God's all, all of God's people. He, he says, I, I'm a sinner. I'm no better than anyone else. He doesn't compare himself to others. He could look all around the world and see all these people who claim to be Christians and he could see, hey, I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that guy. I'm doing more than that guy, but he doesn't. Instead, he views himself in the light of Jesus who set such a high example. He sees that he's humble and he's growing. So I know some of you are, are really hurting right now, that you're devastated. You're, you're fighting depression. You're, you're fighting discouragement. Some of you feel like you have no hope right now, but, but listen, God can use this season of your life, this present suffering to grow your faith and to make you more like Jesus. You know, sometimes our greatest gifts come through our pain, don't they? I mean, if you, if you wanna great, healthy body. I mean, working out requires physical pain, but it's for our good in the end, right? A mother, if a mother wants to have a baby, giving birth is going to require, I hear, great physical pain. But most mothers would say it was absolutely worth it. They're willing to do it because some people again and again and again, because it's worth what you gain from it. None of us want to have surgery, right? But sometimes that pain is necessary for the good of the body. It's why James, the apostle James can write this. He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds for the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And one of the greatest ways that we grow in our suffering is when we realize that each day that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Romans eight twenty six says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He comforts us in our trouble. Remember, Jesus said, you're gonna have trouble, but then he let us know that we're not gonna have to do it alone. Jesus said, I will send a comforter. I'll send a Holy Spirit to be with you. The Holy Spirit not only comforts, but look what else the Holy Spirit does for us. He says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. God's Holy Spirit prays for us when we don't know what to pray. I love what Pastor Herschel Hobbs says about this verse. He says, if you've ever hurt so much that you couldn't put into words your prayers, all you could do was sigh, groan, or cry. It was then, perhaps, that you prayed your most eloquent prayer. The Holy Spirit took that groan, sigh, tear, and carried those to the Father and translated them into the most beautiful prayer you have ever prayed. So one of the benefits of being in Christ is that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have the presence of God in us. If you are in Christ, your life is reinforced by the power of the Holy Spirit. He intercedes in our struggles and you're gonna grow as you learn to rely more and more on him. Verse 16, the apostle Paul prayed, I pray out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you, right? that he may grow you with power through, through what? Through digging deep? Through toughening up? Just man up? no. Through his spirit in your inner being, Paul suffered and grew in Christ. 
You think about it, even Jesus suffered. And even Jesus grew. Scripture tells us that Jesus grew in, in stature with God and man, in favor with God and man. One of the things that Jesus did for us was he veiled his deity, fully God, fully man, okay, but he veiled his deity so he could be fully human, and that means that he suffered just like a human. Hebrews 5, 7 says that Jesus learned obedience by what he suffered, that, that Jesus grew from his suffering. He learned dependence on the Father from his suffering. You can suffer for the sake of others and you can suffer and grow. Number three is this. You can suffer for his glory. You can suffer for God's glory. Verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Paul says that God's intent in my suffering was that his wisdom would be made known, that his purpose would be accomplished. And you and I won't understand what it means to be in Christ until we realize that being in Christ means that God's primary concern is not our daily happiness. His primary concern is the accomplishment of his will in the world. It's like this, a general wants to keep the morale of his troops high, right? But the main goal of that general is not to keep the morale of his troops high. But the primary purpose of an army is to accomplish the purpose, accomplish the will of the ones who sent him, right? They accomplish a mission and some soldiers get wounded along the way. And some soldiers, some soldiers have to die to accomplish that mission. In the same way, there are some Christians who have had to really suffer, some Christians who have been martyred for the sake of God's will. I want you to see something, though, about the way that Paul suffered. Because look at, any, look at this letter, look at any of the letters Paul wrote from prison. He, he's not hating his enemies. He's not complaining. He's being honest. He's talking about his suffering, he's, but he's worshiping. He, he's not losing heart. Where did he get that from? Well, I think he got it from no other place than from Jesus. I mean, the one who never complained as he was whipped and scourged and spat upon and hung on the cross. Jesus knew that people were watching and he understood that what we do in our worst moments is often how we're remembered for the rest of our lives. And Jesus knew that people were watching as he hung on the cross. And Paul is just reflecting his faith in Christ and, and saying that's what it means for us to be in Christ and for Christ to be in you. And sometimes we hurt and we suffer and life is hard and we want to just stop and be over. I think Paul would say to us, remember, people are watching. Like you've been given an enormous opportunity to glorify God. Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. Don't you dare rush out of the valley. You are in Christ and God can be glorified in your life too. So think about this as you suffer. Like who's watching you? Who's paying attention? Your family? Your kids are watching you as you suffer? Your neighbors, your coworkers, they see you? Social media? Your Facebook friends? Your Twitter followers? They see how you suffer. And that's an image that they project onto you. But most importantly, God's watching and he loves you. If you are in Christ, his presence is with you. So what does that all mean? What, what, are, what are some things that you can do? Well, I think number one is this. You can be honest with yourself. 
It's okay to admit that you're hurting or that you're suffering or that what you're going through. And, and I think number two, kind of like that, is talking about it helps. Having one or two people that you trust, that you know are not gonna use that against you, that they're gonna just listen uh, instead of posting it on Facebook. All right, find one or two friends with whom you can confide your deepest thoughts, your deepest struggles, your biggest fears, your biggest doubts. Maybe it's a connection group. Maybe it's somebody in your group. Maybe it's a leader. Maybe it's a counselor. Maybe you need to find someone professional to help you with that, especially if you're feeling depressed. Next thing is you can find comfort in the presence of Jesus. You can know that he's suffered, that he's been there. He's seen how this ends and he wants to hear from you. Hebrews 4 puts it like this. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I know some of you, some of those in our church have followed the story of Saeed Abedini, the American pastor who has been jailed in Iran for more than two years now. He was arrested for attempting to convert Iranian citizens from Islam to Christianity. And a couple of weeks ago, his daughter uh, here at home in the U.S. celebrated her eighth birthday. And on that occasion, he wrote her this letter. I'm going to read part of this. It says, Dear Rebecca Grace, my dearest Rebecca Grace, happy eighth birthday. You're growing so fast and becoming more beautiful every day. I praise God for his faithfulness every day as I watch through prison walls and see pictures and hear stories of how you are growing, both physically and spiritually. Oh, how I long to see you. I know you question why you have prayed so many times for my return, and yet I'm not home yet. Now, there's a big why in your mind. You are asking why Jesus isn't answering your prayers and the prayers of people all around the world for praying for my release and for me to be home with you and with our family. The answer to why is who. Who is in control? Lord Jesus Christ is in control. I desire for you to learn important lessons during these trying times, lessons that you can carry now and for the rest of your life. The answer to why is who. The confusion of why has all this happened and why your prayers are not answered yet, it is resolved with understanding who is in control. Lord Jesus Christ, our God. He says, God is in control of the whole world and everything that is happening in it is for his good purpose, for his glory, and will be worked out for our good, Romans 8, 28. Jesus allows me to be kept here for his glory. He is doing something inside of each of us and also outside in the world. People die and suffer for their Christian faith all over the world, and some may wonder why, but you should know the answer of why is who. It is for Jesus. He is worth the price and he has a plan to be glorified through our lives. And then he points her to a passage of scripture from Habakkuk uh, 3. It says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And then he continues. Then my dear beloved daughter, Rebecca Grace, I pray God will bring you back home soon. But if not, we will still sing together as Habakkuk did. Hallelujah. Either separated by prison walls or together at home. So let daddy hear you sing aloud hallelujah that I can hear, hear all the way here in prison. 
I'm so proud of you, my sweet, courageous daughter. Glory to God forever. Kisses and blessings, Daddy. You know, as we close today, I just I want to pray for you. But I want to pray in a way that's different from the way we usually pray. Sometimes we pray as a way to transition into music or we pray as a way to just close what we're saying. But I want to pray in a way that says that God's going to have an impact through our prayer today. That, that there's this whole course of history that's going this one way, that, but, but that because we prayed, it's gonna turn, change direction, and we're gonna go this way, that, that your suffering is headed this way, but when we pray right now, I wanna pray like that, that God is gonna take this and make a turn in your life, and a turn in how you're gonna suffer. And so would you just bow your heads with me? And let's pray together, God, for the, for the faith we see in Pastor Abedini, for the faith we see in the Apostle Paul and that how we can suffer for the good of others and how we can suffer for, for growth, for our own growth and how we can suffer for your glory. God, I lift up to you everyone in this room that's suffering right now, God. I lift up those who are going through marriage problems or I lift up those who are in a health scare. I lift up those who are struggling with their children and the poor decisions that are being made. I, I, I lift up those who are struggling with a situation at work or that are out of work, Lord, that, that are in a tough situation, that are struggling, that are suffering, God, that you would show them how to suffer. You would show them how to suffer for the, growth, for the good of others, uh, for their own growth and for your glory, God. And I pray that even when we came into this room uh, heading down one path, Lord, that you are gonna take us and you're gonna turn our path in a different direction, that you're gonna take our suffering and use it for your good and use it for your glory because we are in Christ, because our identity is in you, then we know that our suffering can be in you too, God. And so I just pray that over this entire room, that anyone in here who's in a difficult situation, God, that you would take that and use it for your glory, that you would reveal to them how you're gonna use that. We know that knowing these things don't necessarily make our suffering any easier, but it does give us hope. It gives us hope that at the end of what we're going through, God, that you're gonna reveal to us how we had to go through it so it could be used for your glory. God, as I think about this, I think about the people in this room that are suffering and don't have a relationship with you. They don't have any place to turn. God, what a dismal position to be in. I lift them up to you right now. If you're here, if you're in this room and you don't know the loving grace of God our Father and you wanna enter into that relationship with him, you can do that. Just, just pray this silently after me. Say, God, I need you in my life. I accept the work that Jesus did on the cross. I need him as my savior, Lord. I submit my life to your will. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to live inside of me forever and I will follow you all of my days. If you just pray that prayer, welcome to the family of God. God's gonna use your suffering for great good. Lord, we just, as we come uh, and respond to you through music, we just pray that you would hear what we're saying to you and that uh, you would use all of this for your glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, amen.